Good morning. Happy New Year to you. Uh, if you've got a Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 2. We are going to continue. You know, we used Luke chapter 1 and the beginning of Luke chapter 2 in our build up to Christmas and uh, for Advent, but we are going to continue working through the book of Luke here in 2021. And so today we're going to be in verses. Uh, 21 down to 40 in Luke chapter 2. And just as like a general sort of setting the stage for where we are, um, Luke, Luke's gospel provides the most in terms of like account and detail about Jesus's life after his birth, before his ministry began. And so when we started the series in Luke, I said that uh, this first portion of Luke's gospel where we're being like presented with Jesus as the Savior, that that really was going to go until the middle of chapter 4. And so in our minds, after Jesus is born, we kind of jump to thinking about his ministry. But in Luke's gospel, there's actually a couple chapters in there where Luke tells you more about Jesus's life before he launched into ministry. And so we're going to start with that this morning, and then it'll be a number of weeks before we really get into where Jesus's public ministry really kind of takes off. So Today is Luke 2, verses 21 down to 40. Let's pray, and then we'll jump in. God, thank you for this morning, um, for the opportunity to come and to worship together, to open your word together, to spend time in fellowship with one another. God, I pray that all of those are um, uh, glorifying to you, Lord, no matter which of those things we're doing at any given moment. God, I pray that you would stir the affections of our hearts and turn our eyes and minds and hearts to you, God, that all that we do here this morning would glorify you. God, I pray that as we open up your word this morning, um, Lord, would you use this to encourage us? Would you use this to, to teach and challenge and correct us where we may need to be corrected? Um, God, would you speak clearly through your word? Would your Holy Spirit take it, press it deeply into our hearts, and by your grace and your word and your presence in our lives, Lord, would we be changed to walk in faithfulness, humility, and obedience to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I had a friend um, send me a sermon last week, and it was actually just like a clip of a sermon from another pastor, um, actually another church here in Kansas City, and the kind of premise of the clip was that uh, kind of like a standard New Year, New Year's uh, sermon sort of idea that, hey, let's, let's really double down in 2021 and let's not be rolling into 2022 the same people we are here as we head into 2021. And on the surface, I, I watched the clip and I thought, uh, okay, I don't want to like stretch maybe that 20 second clip beyond what it is. Um, but something is a little off here. And so uh, in fairness to that, the person that was giving the sermon, I thought I, I definitely need to listen to the whole thing. So I, I listened to the whole sermon and went and found it. And um, the, the title of the sermon gave sort of the premise and immediately gave away that what didn't sit well with me was true. The, the title of the sermon was uh, Renew, Revive, Reward. And the idea in the sermon was that if we would renew our like, efforts and our faithfulness and our spiritual disciplines and those kinds of things, God will revive our hearts. And that, there is truth there, that spiritual disciplines and our engagement and relationship with the Lord um, in all things, like God does a, a reviving sort of work inside of us through those means. 
then the, the final implication, though, was that by renewing and being revived, God would be obligated then to reward. And the idea was that he would reward in like physical kind of material ways. And so uh, if we would just like double down on the efforts in our relationship with the Lord, he would revive us internally, true, and reward us externally. And in like the cultural kind of societal air that we breathe, that sounds okay. But it's when you really start to think about the implications of that that you realize that there's a serious problem there because what's the implication? If you arrive in 2022 and the circumstances in your life haven't changed, the bank account hasn't grown, the diagnosis didn't go away, whatever, what's the implication? You didn't renew hard enough. Like, you didn't do enough of the spiritual disciplines. You didn't do enough of the obedience. You, didn't, you weren't good enough at whatever to, like, somehow obligate God to give you the thing that you wanted or the change that you wanted. That is the prosperity gospel. Like, that is what the prosperity gospel is, is that if you would do this, God must do fill in the blank, as though we would have the ability by our own actions to put God like in debt to us or to force God's hand and make him have to act on our behalf, that we could like twist God's arm to the point where he must do fill in the blank on our behalf. And that simply is not true. The Bible is clear. There is blessing in faithfulness, but the Bible is also clear that blessing is not always physical. And it's also not necessarily just whatever the thing is that we want in our lives at any given moment, that if we're faithful, God will do fill in the blank. And so I'm watching this sermon and I'm thinking that this is a normal kind of thing that I think we do in churches and in American culture as we shift into new years. We start thinking that like, I'm going to double, I'm going to redouble down on all of my various efforts in my health and fitness, in my diet, at work, with my kids, in my marriage, spiritually. And if I double down spiritually, I will definitely get fill in the blank at the end of the road. And the reality is, you will be blessed. That doesn't necessarily mean that the physical circumstances or the situation in your life is just going to change. It could be that the blessing is entirely internal. That the blessing is that you come to see the truth of Jesus and you cling to him more deeply and you learn to cherish him uh, and, and hold on to him more tightly And that in and of itself, if God gave you nothing else, that is an enormous blessing. Doesn't guarantee reward, like physical, earthly, tangible, hold it in your hands, reward. So I was thinking about all of that and uh, working with our passage that we're gonna look at this morning. And there is beauty in just like, ordinary, everyday, mundane Christian faithfulness. And if you, if you want a goal in 2021, it's not that we would be faithful, we would renew our, our, our efforts at being faithful, and the reward would be that God has to act and fill in the blank sphere in my life. The reward for our faithfulness has already been given to us. It's in Christ. Like, you already have the reward. You already have 
the blessing. It's been handed to you. It's an extraordinary work of God's grace that that's been given to you. And so our faithfulness is a response to that grace. It's empowered by that grace. When it falters, it's re held up by that grace. And God, in anything that he would do on the backside of that, acts in his grace. Whether that means we get the change in circumstances that we were hoping for, or whatever the case might be, or not. All of that, like, swims in God's grace and in the grace of Christ. And what we're going to see this morning are people who act faithfully in response to the grace of God in Jesus. And the faithfulness isn't to get something from God. The faithfulness is in response to a God who's already given. And that distinction is so important. And so let me just, here's where we're going to go. You're going to see this slide multiple times. If you're a note taker, there are going to be like three little statements on there. But I just want to like build this out over and over again this morning. So the first statement is this. Ordinary faithfulness is a result of God's extraordinary grace. Like the fact that you or me or anyone else who follows Jesus would even have an inkling in their own heart and flesh to be faithful to Jesus is an unbelievable picture of God's grace. Because the reality of sin in the human heart is that we would want nothing to do with that. And so the fact that any of us would want to be faithful to the Lord is an incredible picture of the work of God's grace in any of our lives. And then the next statement, that ordinary faithfulness is the means by which God works extraordinarily. It doesn't mean that ordinary faithfulness is the cause of God working in an extraordinary way. You can read all throughout the Bible, Old Testament or New Testament, and see pictures of God using the ordinary faithfulness of regular, common people to do immeasurably more than they would have asked or imagined. And it's not that their faithfulness obligated him to do that. It's that their faithfulness became like the pipe that the water flows through and God chose to do something extraordinary through them. And then the third one is this, that ordinary faithfulness is a gift to those around us. So let me just read the passage and then we'll kind of start to unpack this. Luke 2, starting in verse 21. When the eight days were completed for his circumcision, he was named Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. And when the days of their purification according to the law of Moses were finished, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, just as is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two pigeons. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the rise or the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed. And a sword will pierce your own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. There was also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. 
She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple, serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had completed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The boy grew up and became strong, filled with wisdom, and God's grace was on him. Remember when we're reading in the Gospel of Luke, and actually this is a good thing to keep in mind when you're reading in any passage of Scripture, it's about Jesus. Now there are other people present, in fact there are other people who are more present in this passage than Jesus himself, the baby, this, at this point like a month old or so. But, the, but it's, it's about Jesus, it revolves around Jesus. The reason we're hearing about these people, whether it be uh, Mary and Joseph or Simeon and Anna, is because of Jesus. We're supposed to see something about that. I just want to bring forward those individuals, Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, and then these two faithful servants, Simeon and Anna. And then I want to bring out like the faithfulness of God and Christ in the middle of that. And so remember, Jesus, as we've said, particularly when we did Hebrews, but we've also said it here in this Luke series, he's the, he's the ultimate fulfillment of everything in the Old Testament. All of its laws, all of its commands, all of its rituals, all of its prophecies, all of its people, they find their ultimate fulfillment in Christ. And there's a beauty here that's pretty easy to miss. And that's that Jesus, in his humility, enters into the world as a baby, which means for, I don't know, X number of months, years, he can't actually fulfill any of the Old Testament law on his own. Like, he's a baby. And he's taken on all the constraints of humanity onto his divinity at the incarnation. And so he's subject to that. He's hemmed in by that. And what does he have? He's got faithful parents in place of that. And so they do what is faithful. In fact, the passage just like hammers away at this. Look at verse 21. They named him Jesus, the name he was given by the angel before he conceived. So God said, this is what you're to name the child, and they did it. Then they do four things that are according to Leviticus 12. They go to have Jesus circumcised on the eighth day, verse 21. They abide by a 30-day period of purification, verse 22. They present Jesus at the temple there to dedicate him to the Lord as any firstborn male child needed to be. That's verse 22 and 23. And they make the right offering, verses 23 and 24. All of those in accordance with Leviticus chapter 12. They're present at the temple to do what is customary according to the law. That's verse 27. And then in verse 39, before they leave Jerusalem, we're told that they did everything according to the law of the Lord before leaving. It's incredible. Like, here's Jesus, who's going to be the fulfillment of everything that the Old Testament has pointed toward. And he can't do it on his own. And his parents do it in his place. They're just ordinarily faithful. How many Jewish moms and dads had taken their child after eight days to be circumcised, had taken their child after 30 days to present the right sacrifice for purification? Like tons, generations worth of faithful Israelite parents and Mary and Joseph step into that role, which means we don't, ever, we don't even have to play the game of like, well, what if? What if he had had parents who didn't fulfill Leviticus 12? Is that get credited to them or is that credited to Jesus? Like, did he not fulfill that? How does that work? We don't have to play that game because they're just ordinarily faithful. And they're ordinarily faithful as a result of God's grace. God has done something magnificent to them in the giving of Jesus and through them, through the giving of Jesus. And in response to that, they just 
go and be faithful. I mean, what a, what a beautiful picture for following Jesus. God has done something extraordinary to you. He's doing something extraordinary through you thanks to Jesus. Just be faithful. And that's what they go and they do. And so they show up at the temple. According to Leviticus 12, they would have needed like a, a one-year-old male lamb there in order to make their sacrifice uh, for purification. They don't, they're poor. They don't have that. And so instead they come with, you know, the two birds, pigeons or turtle doves. We get this picture that Mary and Joseph, in their poverty, they go and they're faithful. But notice what they don't do. They don't, in their poverty, go and be faithful because if they go and be faithful, God's gonna change their poverty. They go and be faithful because going and being faithful just ordinary act in response to God's grace to them is the natural thing to do. And so they go and they do that. I also want to make just like a real quick aside here. We tend to think of poverty, like this is like American cultural um, thought process. Like we think that poverty is associated with a lack of virtue. Like if you're poor, it must be because you're lazy. If you're poor, it must be because you've, you're like sinful or you're neglecting something. If you're poor, it really, it just must be entirely your fault. If you're poor, we even, this can seep in, especially if we align with the prosperity gospel. If you're poor, it must be a sign of God's disapproval, like about your life and the things that you're doing. But if you just take Jesus's life and the life of his parents, you see that none of that is true. Poverty is not a sin. Poverty is not God's disapproval right? So Mary and Joseph are poor. How is it that the angel greeted Mary telling her about Jesus's birth? Greetings, highly favored one. So her poverty cannot mean that God disapproves in some sort of way. Poverty doesn't prevent a person from worshiping. Poverty in one part of your life does not doom you to poverty forever. Poverty does not excuse unrighteousness. Poverty is not shameful in and of itself. Poverty does not hinder faithfulness. We see that in Mary and Joseph. All of those come out of a commentary written by a man named Thabiti Anyabwile, um, who, who just made like a very powerful point that if we are to understand Jesus correctly, we've actually got to undo our, our kind of American cultural suburban ways that we think about poverty because he flies in the face of those right from his birth, which is a really cool picture. And Mary and Joseph's faithfulness has nothing to do with wanting to change their circumstances. Mary and Joseph's faithfulness does not wait for their circumstances to change, which is something that we often think to ourselves. I'll be faithful when, whatever you would fill in the blank there, I'll be faithful when I go to college, we would say in high school. I'll be faithful when I'm out of college, we would say while we're in college. I'll be faithful once I get married because I want my marriage to be about Jesus, we would say while we're young and single. I'll be faithful when we have kids, we would say as like young married couple. We'll be faithful when the kids are out of the house, we would say as parents. I'll be faithful once I'm retired because I'm too busy with work right now, right? And now all of a sudden we're retired and what's left? I'll be faithful when I'm like when I'm dead. Like our, our faithfulness doesn't have to be tied to our circumstances. God wants us to be faithful in the circumstances, whatever they are, 
however they present themselves to us. And he's already been extraordinarily gracious to us in the giving of Jesus and in the longing inside of us now as followers of Jesus to even want to be faithful. It's, it's pretty clear, like Luke is making a significant point here. Mary and Joseph are faithful over and over and over again. They did what was according to the law. They did what the angel told them. They did what Leviticus 12 said. They did everything they were supposed to do. This doesn't have to be complicated. Like ordinary faithfulness is a result of God's extraordinary grace. Ordinary faithfulness is the means by which God works extraordinarily. Look at what he's doing here in the life of Jesus. And ordinary faithfulness is a gift to those around us. In this particular instance, it's a gift from Mary and Joseph that Jesus grows up watching his parents be faithful. And so one like very easy like jump to make here, parents, is that ordinary faithfulness is a gift to your children. An absolute gift. I want to do this humbly because I don't have kids, but I also do this like standing on the words and the example of other people who do have kids. Like your faithfulness, mom and dad, is a gift to your kids. It's the most precious gift you could give them is the picture of what it looks like to live a life that follows Jesus and is faithful to Jesus. Faithfulness, not perfection. That, that's the goal, right? You don't have to be sinless and perfect. Jesus has already accomplished that for you. God's not looking for you to be sinless and perfect as you parent your children. He's looking for faithfulness, which means you probably need to give yourself the grace you wish your children would give to you in your worst moments, right? Like you have the blow up or whatever the case might be and you would want your kids to extend you grace, but also extend yourself that grace. But what does ordinary faithfulness look like in that? Sometimes ordinary faithfulness is going to look like modeling the humility necessary to apologize and confess and repent, not just in front of your kids, but to your kids. That's ordinary faithfulness. And it's a gift of God's extraordinary grace that any of us would do that because no one wants to look at a four-year-old and apologize and confess their sin and ask forgiveness and repent. Like it is a gift of God's grace that that would stir inside any one of us. That's ordinary faithfulness. Sometimes that ordinary faithfulness includes upholding the priorities that you know are right, even though your children aren't interested. So it's Sunday morning, and your child would rather be watching cartoons or sleeping in a little bit longer, but you say, like, ordinary faithfulness, like, we're going to go to church. This is who we are and what we're going to do. Sometimes ordinary faithfulness means daily modeling faithfulness without saying anything. But sometimes ordinary faithfulness looks like capitalizing on the right opportunities to take what happens in life or in the world and leveraging a teaching moment or a chance to talk, a chance to explain. One of my like, favorite pictures of this is that Melody, while she was growing up, um, there was a girl on the bus and every day, like I don't know if they had assigned seats on the bus or what, but every day this Melody and this girl would like clash. They just like butt heads and it bothered Melody all the time. And one, one day in particular, she gets off the bus, she goes inside and she starts, you know, venting her frustration or like elementary school frustration about the girl on the bus. And her dad, in a moment of ordinary faithfulness, says, 
it sounds like there must be some really hard things going on in that girl's life. We should pray for her. And it's impacted Melody ever since. What a gift. Like now when Melody has interactions, you know, in her job or in life with someone who's clearly frustrated, but maybe Melody's not actually the target, but she is the one who receives the outflow of that. The gift from her dad. Ordinary faithfulness to say, there must be something really hard going on in this person's life. I I should pray for them. What a gift. Just ordinary faithfulness. Parents, like, maybe ordinary faithfulness isn't how do I really clear the path so that it's smooth sailing for my child all the time, but instead, ordinary faithfulness is how do I teach my child to cling to Jesus when the road is really rough? Like, what a gift. Teaching that to your children and modeling that ordinary faithfulness is way more precious than you could ever give your child by making everything smooth for them because it's not gonna be smooth forever. You teach them how to cling to and love Jesus in the middle of something really hard, what a gift. Like just ordinary, everyday faithfulness. The goal is not sinless perfection. The goal is faithfulness. The goal is to provide a model of ordinary faithfulness for your children. And that ordinary faithfulness is a result of God's extraordinary grace. That ordinary faithfulness is the means by which God works extraordinarily. That ordinary faithfulness is a gift to those around us. God's looking for faithfulness. And his grace just surrounds the whole deal and props it all up. Look at the next two people in the story. In verse 25, we're introduced to Simeon and we're told a little bit about who he was. There was a man, he lived in Jerusalem. He was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, which is kind of an Old Testament way to say like he was looking forward to God's giving of a Messiah, like the deliverance of God's people. We're told that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. And he was guided by the Spirit into the temple at the time when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to perform what was customary under the law. Simeon is possibly a priest. Like, because he's there present at the temple, uh, most scholars like think he was a priest, but it doesn't actually tell us that. He could have just been somebody who like worked there around the temple or in some other capacity. What Luke wants us to understand is the presence of the Holy Spirit all over this man. The Spirit was on him, verse 25. It was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he wouldn't see death until he saw the Messiah, verse 26. Verse 27, he's guided by the Holy Spirit into the temple and into the presence of Jesus. And whereas Joseph and Mary, their faithfulness is like a result of what God has done in giving them Jesus. When we see Simeon and Anna, we see two people who are faithful in expectation of what God will do. Right? They're anchoring their faithfulness in the hope of God's faithfulness in sending Jesus. And then they get the moment where they see him. And so a lifetime for Simeon of living righteous, righteously and in a devout manner is fueled by his expectation that he can be certain that God is going to be good. And so in response to the grace of God's faithfulness, he's faithful. He's characterized by that. And God is the one through the Holy Spirit that's like empowering this whole deal. He's righteous and devout, which means that he's lived his life in obedience to the words and laws of God. He hasn't been sinless. He hasn't been perfect. The same for Mary and Joseph. 
But he's been waiting, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, which is the Old Testament way of saying that he's been looking forward to a Messiah. And the people of the Old Testament experienced salvation in the same way that we do, through the Savior, who is Jesus. They did so by looking forward. We do so by looking backward. They were faithful by looking forward. We're faithful by looking backward to Jesus. J.C. Ryle sums it up so well in his commentary on Luke. He says this, If they, Old Testament individuals, with so few helps and so many discouragements, lived such a life of faithfulness, how much more ought we with a finished Bible and a full gospel? Like, we're on the other side. We can see the extraordinary grace of God in the sending of Jesus. How much more ought we be able to live faithfully, ordinarily and faithfully, because of God's extraordinary grace? We'll come back to what Simeon has to say in verses 29 to 32 here in a minute, but Our attention gets turned to Anna next. She's a prophetess, we're told. That's a distinction that's only given to like seven women in the Bible. So this is a significant moment and Luke uses uses it to draw something out. We're told that she was well along in years, the same words that were used for Elizabeth. She lived with her husband for seven years after her marriage and she was a widow for 84 years. Your Bible either says that she was 84 years old and was a widow or your Bible says that she had been widowed for 84 years. The Greek is like a little confusing there. We know, what we know is that she's old. But she's been living faithfully for a long time and here's how we know that. Look at how it describes her like daily routines and her daily habits. She did not leave the temple serving God night and day, fasting, prayers. And she's there at the moment, like Simeon, when Jesus arrives with Mary and Joseph. We're told that her life for 84 years, either 84 years since her husband's death or 84 years of her life total, has been marked by daily devotion and worship, serving God night and day, fasting and prayer, doesn't leave the temple. It's just ordinary faithfulness. Yesterday, I showed up at Liberty High School to run with some high school kids, and we were going to meet at 10, so I got there at like 9.45 to get things opened up as kids started to arrive, and when I got there, there was one um, young man in the gym, in the dark, shooting baskets, and I thought, at the very least, I could turn the lights on for him, and so I opened up the door, and I had a key to the room where the lights turn on. I said, hey, do you want me to you want me to turn the lights on? He's like, yeah, it's whatever. So I went over and I flipped the lights on for him. I said, are you guys having practice today? He said, yeah, we practice at 10.30. I came at 9.30 and just hoped that it would be open. Right? We call that kind of person who's like there before practice and stays late after, we call that person a gym rat. It doesn't feel very kind to call Anna a temple rat, but that's kind of like the picture that we get here. If the lights were on, she was present. And maybe when the lights were off, She was present, praying, fasting, worshiping, serving God, night and day. She's faithful. That's the picture. And we step back and we look at Simeon and Anna in this whole passage. And one of the takeaways is that the reason they're included in this passage about Jesus is not because they did something so that God would act. They're present because the grace of God had them clinging to the hope of a coming Messiah and they were just ordinary and faithful in the middle of it. She just showed up and worshiped God. He just went to the temple led by the Holy Spirit, faithful to that. And they're noteworthy. God has done something extraordinary through them because of that ordinary faithfulness. 
That's the reason why. And that ordinary faithfulness becomes a gift to the world. There's nothing glamorous about looking forward day after day to the fulfillment of God's promises. Hundreds of years of that, waiting, waiting. Both of these saints know that they could have died before that day arrived. Simeon had been told that that wouldn't happen. Anna shows up every single day, like, maybe today's the day. Maybe it's not. There's nothing extraordinary about showing up every day to pray and to fast and to worship. Those are normal acts of a faithful servant of God. And it's through their ordinary faithfulness that God acts extraordinarily. Let me, in the same way we did this with parents, like let me, let me pull out the kind of obvious uh, application here. Older saints. Like the greatest gift you have to offer in the late season of your life is a lifetime of ordinary faithfulness. Like that is the great gift you have to leave behind. In a culture that tends to bypass the aged in favor of the young, it's a tragedy that the church does the same. Year after year and decade after decade of ordinary faithfulness is a beautiful picture for the church and it's a beautiful picture for the world. And so sometimes that ordinary faithfulness means you just continue to show up. I don't, I don't know if you know who P.D. Coe is. He serves, usually he's in the lobby over there in the security room every single Sunday. He's the first one here. The lights are always on when I get here to the church, when the worship team gets here to start practicing. He's already unlocked the offices. He's unlocked this building back when we had the coffee bar and stuff in the youth center. It was unlocked and the lights were on and it was ready to go. And then he's the last one that leaves here. And sometimes after third service, I get caught in a conversation and I'm kind of slower getting over to the office. And by the time I get over there, PD's just standing in the lobby waiting for me so that he can turn the lights off and lock the building. He's been doing that the whole time I've been here. He's been doing it since I was in high school and I came to faith here. And my understanding is that he has been doing it since before then even. And when I think of ordinary faithfulness, unglamorous, but just steady faithfulness, I picture P.D. Coe. And God has done something extraordinary through that faithfulness. Like you could ask any number of people that have attended this church for a long time. When you think of just like daily faithfulness, who do you think of? And Petey would be one of the first names that jumps to mind. Sometimes faithfulness just means continuing to show up year after year, week after week. Sometimes that ordinary faithfulness for an older saint means being willing to share their hard learned lessons and experiences with those who aren't quite there yet and helping them, serving them in that sort of way. Sometimes ordinary faithfulness means being willing to tell a younger follower of Jesus that hard grace is still grace. It means being willing to tell a younger follower of Jesus that hope is always available, that Christ's love is never failing, that his presence is always there, and being willing to just share that liberally with anybody who's willing to listen. Sometimes, That ordinary faithfulness means setting aside the world's leisurely idea of retirement and continuing to open yourself up to the will of God in your final season of life. Like everything about American culture says you hit a certain age and you just get to coast it into the finish line. That exists nowhere 
in scripture. In fact, you read the Old Testament, the vast majority of the extraordinary things that God does through ordinary faithful followers of Jesus are through people who have been plugging away for a very long time. We were with um, a couple in our church and they were telling us a story about a woman uh, whose name is Betty. In fact, you can go on YouTube. It's like five minutes and 12 seconds long, a little clip called Betty Goes to Jail, B-E-T-T-I-E. It's a story of this woman who, 70 years old, one day is driving past a jail in her uh, local community and she feels something stir inside her heart where she, she said, it felt like the Lord said, you've never visited the prisoners. And she starts like doing the thing we all do, which is totally normal, which is like rationalizing with God, right? Well, I've fed people that were hungry. I've given drinks to those who were thirsty. We've given clothes to those who needed clothing. You know, I think I'm good. And God, you know, is really stirring in her. You've never visited the prisoners. And so she realizes I've got some Bibles in the trunk. So she drives over to the prison and she leaves some Bibles for the prisoners. She gets back in her car and God says, no, you've never visited the prisoners. And so, uh, she ends up putting together a team and she took like this little like milk crate thing in there to the prison and she would sit in front of every cell and just minister and share the gospel with people. And it ended up being a team of 12 other women. And when you go watch the video, it's 12 other elderly women who over a course of 20 years went every Saturday to visit these women in prison. Ordinary faithfulness. And it's amazing to hear her talk about it because she says, I realized once I went inside that I was not the first one to visit the prison. God was already there. He's just looking for an ordinary faithful person to show up there and he'll do something extraordinary through that. She started that at 70 years old. And then years into the process, her and this team realized that these women, when they're released from prison, they have a very hard time transitioning back into normal life. And so they bought a house so that when they were released from prison, these women would have a place to go so they could make the transition into normal life, back into normal life. Just ordinary faithfulness. And God does something extraordinary and it's a gift. It's just an amazing gift to the world. Sometimes, older saints, at some particular time, specifically, ordinary faithfulness is going to mean looking death in the face and like Samson in Luke 2, 29, saying, now master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised, for my eyes have seen your salvation. There have been few things more powerful to me as like a young pastor than sitting in a room with an older member of our congregation who knows they're about to die and they're ordinary faithful right in the middle of it. And God does something extraordinary through that. And it's his grace that empowers the faithfulness in that moment. It's his grace that does something extraordinary and it has been a gift to me every single time. All God is looking for is faithfulness. He'll do, the, he'll do the extraordinary stuff. He's not looking for sinlessness. He's not looking for perfection. He's looking for faithfulness and his grace empowers it. His grace does something out of it and his grace will pick you back up when your faith stumbles forward. And all of that is just swimming in the reality of Jesus. And so look, look with me now at what Anna and Simeon actually say. This has been a refrain that we've repeated over and over over the last few weeks. 
people interact with Jesus and their response is all about Jesus. And so ordinary faithfulness is empowered by God's extraordinary grace. Ordinary faithfulness is the means by which God works extraordinarily. Ordinary faithfulness is a gift to the people around us and it's all about Jesus. Simeon says, verse 29, dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. Why? Because my eyes have seen your salvation. And then he talks about it. You prepared it in the presence of all peoples. That's a big theme in the book of Luke. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. Glory to your people Israel. Then he talks to Mary. This child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel. He's a sign that's going to be opposed, which is the first kind of rumblings we get that Jesus is gonna suffer in all of this. A sword will pierce your soul, Mary. This is gonna be hard. This is gonna be hard for you to see and to watch. But the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Jump down to Anna, verse 38. She's been just day in, day out, you know, temple rat. She shows up at that very moment when Mary and Joseph are there with Jesus and she comes up and she begins to thank God and to speak about him to all who are looking forward to the the redemption of Israel. She starts to witness about this. Ordinary faithfulness. It's what she's been doing for years and other people have been looking forward to the coming of Jesus too and so now she sees it and she says, it's here. Like, we've been waiting for this. I'm going I'm to go all the way back to the opening illustration. The goal in 2021 is not that we would renew our faith, have our heart revived in order to like twist God's arm or hem him, him in in such a way that he must give us some physical material blessing. That is not the goal. The goal is that we as followers of Jesus would see more and more clearly the grace of God. And seeing that grace, we would respond in faithfulness. And then God, by his grace, will do whatever it is that he's going to do, whatever extraordinary work that he's doing in the world and in us and through us and how that might include us, he'll take care of that. And when our faithfulness stumbles, his grace will pick us back up. That's the beauty of the whole thing. But it's just ordinary lives of faithfulness. That's all. Your faithfulness isn't for Jesus to do something for you. Your faithfulness is in response to Jesus. Mary and Joseph, they're faithful in response to Jesus. Simeon and Anna, they're faithful in response to Jesus. They know a Savior's coming and they're faithful in response to that. So mom and dad, what's the greatest gift you can give your kids? Ordinary faithfulness. A picture of how God's extraordinary grace to you just bleeds its way out into everyday, mundane, ordinary life. So elderly saint, what's the greatest gift you could leave behind in your last season of life? A picture of ordinary faithfulness and how God's extraordinary grace to you has just bled itself out into everyday life. So church, no matter what season of life you're in, single, married, kids, no kids, student, elderly, career, whatever the case might be, what's the greatest gift you have to offer the world? What is the most important, most pressing thing that you could do in 2021? Faithfulness. Does that mean you'll get to 2022 and maybe the circumstances have changed? Sure, maybe. Like maybe God by his grace will have done something miraculous and changed the diagnosis or you know, answered a prayer or whatever the case might be. That's up to him. 
He's sovereign, he's in control. He'll make those decisions. Our call is just to be faithful, to be faithful if he does work in that sort of way, but also to be faithful in the circumstances if he doesn't work in that sort of way. And to just plug along day after day in response to the grace of God, hopeful in the grace of God, grateful for the grace of God when you fail. Ordinary faithfulness. We sing a song here um, regularly on Sundays and it's, it's like a, it takes a hymn and it reworks it, but my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. My hope is not built on Jesus acting in the way that I want him to because I twist his arm and make him do it. My hope is just built on Jesus, period. And so the great gift of God's extraordinary grace is that we have Jesus, like that's everything, and we can be faithful. Christ alone is the cornerstone, not Christ and if he does this thing that I'm gonna try to force him into doing. No, Christ alone. He is the cornerstone. He is the extraordinary grace of God that inspires our ordinary faithfulness. He is the one that will act extraordinarily according to his grace. And he is the one who by his grace will pick us up when our faithfulness stumbles. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand up and sing.